Um, I wanted to share uh, just a bit of a reflection on the resurrection, what today is all about, and really what Christianity is all about. It's about a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, who died and rose again. And what does that, what does that mean for us? I'm going to do some reflection, reflecting on the, one of the passages read earlier today, Mark 16, uh, 1 to 8. And just to introduce it, I want to bring, um, tell you a story of, of a little girl uh, called Jessica. Jessica McClure Morales, uh, born in 1986, this is her, uh, but in 1987, when she was just 18 months old, she fell down a well in her aunt's uh, backyard, and uh, the well was about 20 centimeters wide and 7 meters deep, uh, she was. Uh, she was stuck there for 56 hours as paramedics and uh, family and, and rescue teams sought to um, rescue her. And uh, I was talking to someone um, earlier this week, uh, and they described uh, the, the year that they've had as a bit like they've been stuck in a cave. It's been a tough year for, for so many people, and we think what's happening around the world, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tough year. And it's not, in one way, it's not different to any other year. Uh, any year brings challenges and brokenness and darkness, and often it feels like the world is stuck in a deep, dark cave, and they can't find how, we can't find how to get out. And uh, this, particularly this last year, we've been confronted with all kinds of different issues. We've been confronted by the problem of loneliness. Uh, a world that, uh, in order to combat one pandemic, uh, they instituted social distancing. And that just uh, brought to our attention a whole other pandemic of loneliness and the associated mental health issues. Uh, it's, we've been confronted by injustice. We've, uh, mass riots around the world uh, at, with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement, with, with violence against minorities and women and uh, all kinds of injustice towards people. Even just the injustice with the rolling out of the vaccine for COVID. Uh, I, was, I was reading some of the details and there's a massive skew towards the richer countries. Uh, wealthy countries like Canada and Australia, we've got more, more than enough vaccines. So Canada has enough vaccines to uh, vaccinate, do the full program for all of their citizens five times over. And Australia has enough vaccines to vaccinate everyone, like the full program, multiple vaccine, twice over. Whereas there's countries around the world who won't uh, have access to any of them for years. There's a massive imbalance there, a massive injustice. And even just the injustice towards the world, to the, the earth, towards creation. You know, beginning of last year, we had the fires, and we've, we've had floods around in New South Wales recently, and the world is crying out, it's broken, it's crying out for, for uh, the injustice of the world, and, and even just over the past year, all the single-use plastics and, and the masks and all the different things that we've, we've had to, to you know, stop the spread, it's just causing more pollution. Uh, there's, there's an injustice there. And probably the biggest thing that we've been confronted with this year is death. Uh, I was talking to my neighbor 
um, around Easter last year. It was the week before Easter, and if you remember, uh, that was just as things were ramping up with the restrictions. Well, things were well into it by then, uh, and we're seeing big death tolls around the world. And uh, I was talking to my neighbor, because I was the only person I was allowed to talk to at the time, over the fence. And, I, uh, and she said something to me that's really stuck. She said that she thought more about death that week than she's ever before. And she's a nurse, so not unfamiliar with death. Uh, but as we've seen, um, uh, death tolls around the world, uh, they, they've been brought to our attention. And, you know, of course, we won't forget that that's, that is actually the case throughout history, is people dying from disease and sickness and injustice. But it seems like COVID is something that's just highlighted it for everyone. Uh, in poor countries and in wealthy countries, no one uh, escapes uh, its grip. Uh, I think Australia's been very sheltered with that, particularly South Australia. Uh, but we see the news we know from people, uh, friends and family around the world, uh, the impact the world is, is lost in a, in a deep, dark cave, and we don't know how to make our way out. Who's going to come in and, and save us and, and help us? What can we, where can we find hope? And it's this kind of, this kind of feeling, this, this kind of desperation and despair is the kind of feeling that the women would have felt as they were coming to uh, the tomb of Jesus. I think often we read uh, the, this passage and we skip to the end because we know what's going to happen and we know the ending of the story. So we, we forget to just take some time to pause and reflect what, what the, the women would have been experiencing as they came to Jesus' tomb. You know, they had just witnessed uh, their friend, their saviour, their, their promised king, the, their rabbi, the teacher they had been following. They just witnessed him brutally murdered, tortured, struck, mocked, eventually to be crucified on a cross. And they took him down and they uh, put him into a tomb. They didn't even have time to uh, do the proper burial rites because it was a Passover. So they sealed up the tomb and had to wait a few days before they could come back. And as they're on their way to this room, imagine what they would have been thinking and feeling. The, the king of the world, the, 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 their teacher who promised to redeem the world and, and said that he would save people, that he was the Messiah, the promised king who'd come to save, was dead. He was in the ground. And there was a stone blocking the tomb. And so, what would they feel? What what were they feeling? What were they fearing? And there, of course, their most immediate problem was who would move the stone. They didn't need someone to uh, take them out of the grave. They needed to find a way into the cave. Who would move the stone for them? But when they get to the tomb, they notice that the stone is gone. The stone's already been rolled away. And, you know, before we move too quickly into the next session, how about think there? What would they have been thinking? The stone is gone. As they enter, they brought all their spices and, and, and oils to anoint the body, but the stone's gone. What's happened? What are they meant to do? Has someone come and robbed the grave? 
trying to find the different treasures that Jesus may have been buried with? Or, or was it the Romans who robbed the grave and, and uh, took Jesus' body away to further mutilate it? Or was it the Jews who robbed the grave and all took the stone away and took Jesus out to parade his dead corpse around Jerusalem to prove that Jesus had not risen from the dead, that Jesus had said he would? But as they come into the tomb, they see a man wearing white. And obviously, who is this guy? What's he going to do? And we know from, from you know, all of Scripture, this man was an angel, a messenger, come to bring a message to them. And he says to them, he says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. The Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where he laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he had told you. So the angel uh, gives the woman courage. He's, he says, Don't be afraid. You know, Jesus' body hasn't been stolen. He's, he's not being further mutilated. He's not being paraded as a corpse. He's not here. He is risen. Don't be afraid. They, he gives them hope. Jesus has risen from the dead. He, he's, he's risen. What he said would happen has happened. He's risen from the dead. He's defeated death. And the angel gives them a task. Go and tell Peter and the disciples. And get them ready for when Jesus will come to them and reveal himself to them, as he said he would. And so, as the women leave, they're astonished and, and amazed. They're trembling and bewildered. Uh, this is a big deal that's happened. Jesus is risen from the dead. And so what does that mean for them? What does that mean? If Jesus said that this would happen, and it has happened, so when Jesus said he was the Messiah, when Jesus said that he would forgive sins, when Jesus said that uh, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it, he was not making it up. There's not something that he just said. He wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't lying. He was telling the truth. He was truly the Son of God. But what happens next in verse 8 is really confusing. Uh, they were told to go and tell the disciples, but verse 8 says, and they were also told not to be afraid, but verse 8 says they left afraid, and they fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So they didn't do what the angels said. And this is a really weird ending, and, and uh, most of our Bibles, if you're looking in your own Bible would, would actually end the passage there with a footnote. And, uh, and that's just a weird way to end. And so then we come into a situation where we've got three alternate endings to this gospel, to this story about Jesus, this biography of Jesus. We've got three alternate endings. Now, to, to explain how that happened, I'm going to need five volunteers. And apparently people have been warned not to make eye contact with me. <laughs> <laughs> So if I want this, come on. I'll also pick. Declan, there you go. See your eyes. May I thank you, excellence. Uh, Emily, <laughs> Rachel. Uh, one more. Nathan, thank you. Is that fun? Yeah. 
So, what happened was Mark is the author of uh, the Gospel, and the Gospel just means good news, it's like the biography of Jesus that Mark wrote. And he wrote it to, to share the good news of Jesus uh, with the different churches around uh, Israel and, and Asia and, and Africa and, and all those people at the time. He wanted the news to go out. And so he wrote it. And then um, uh, he wrote it and he gave it to his friend Rachel so that she could share it with her church. And uh, Rachel took his gospel and made her own copy. And so she, she copied it as Mark shared his version. And then um, Rachel copied it. And then Rachel gave it to her friend Emily uh, so that Emily could share it at her church. And Emily uh, took the gospel and, and it came to the, the end of it. And it ends really abruptly. And Emily was thinking, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit something a bit abrupt. I might actually just add a little bit just to, just to close it off, make it nice and neat. And so Emily um, copies it all, but then adds, right at the end, they, quick, they quickly reported all these instructions to those around Peter. After this, Jesus himself also sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Amen. So a nice, neat ending. Uh, she passes uh, that on to Emmaus, and Emmaus uh, also is a friend of Rachel, so... Uh, she sees Rachel's copy as well, and she sees, oh, this one has an ending, but this one doesn't, but I'll, I'll just include the ending because that sounds better. So Maya does that, and she um, writes it down and includes an ending. And then uh, Declan uh, gets a copy as well. He sees Rachel's and he sees Maya's, and he says, well, hang on, I've actually heard that there's heaps more going on. This is a little bit later on, and he's read from... Uh, he's read other stories, you know, other Gospels. He's read a bit in Acts, and he knows that more has happened since Jesus returned. Mark and Saul, probably. I'm just going to expand it a little bit just to give some clarity and closure of what happens after Jesus rose from the dead. So he adds a whole heap of details, and this is what was read earlier today about um, when Jesus rose, uh, he appeared to Mary and then uh, to the disciples, and to two of them, but they the rest didn't believe and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and then eventually it includes his uh, commissioning to the disciples that they would go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name I will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And so Declan adds this story because he knows from tradition, he knows from other gospels that that kind of stuff happens. And so he adds that to include it. And then Nathan comes along and he's got access to, to Rachel's and Emily's and Amaya's and Declan's. And he goes, which, which one's right? Oh, I'll just include it all. So he includes Amaya's little ending and also, or it was Emily's, whatever, the extra ending, and also Declan's story as well. Uh, and then includes it all, the full uh, ending to Mark's Gospel. Then we come, for, fast forward 2,000 years later, 1,600 years later, uh, and you know I'm here studying the passage ready uh, to preach to you all. I've got to figure out which, which one of these versions is the original and which has been copied. And, and this whole process is called textual criticism. 
It's stuff that's done on all, all different kinds of literature, historical literature, literature. but it's, it's done on the, the scriptures because we take the scriptures as really important and worth studying and worth knowing what is original and what was the original words shared with God's people. And so uh, this kind of work, we do the study and, and try and assess, figure out which is the original. Now you've probably picked up which one I reckon is the original, is the, the abrupt ending that ends at verse 8. And uh, there is disagreement, but generally there's a scholarly consensus that that's the original, for three main reasons. The first one is that the earliest copies that we have, we actually don't have access to the original, but we've got access to copies of it. The earliest copy we have is the, uh, the version that ends at verse 8. We've got other copies that are kind of just as early, but the absolute earliest ends at verse 8. The second reason is thinking about, well, when, when people are copying, are they more likely to add something or they're likely to take it away. And if you think about it, people are more, much more likely to add something to make it less confusing than to take something away to make it more confusing. So it's more likely the original is the one that's more confusing. The last reason, which is probably the most compelling, is that the style of language, the style of Greek that's used, is very different in the other endings to the rest of the Gospel of Mark. So it's likely to be written by someone else. And so for those reasons, we, we generally agree that the, what the original text said ended on verse 8. It's not to say that the rest isn't important or, or it's not helpful. It's helpful and it's, it includes all stuff that, doesn't, that agrees with the rest of Scripture. But in terms of what Mark was trying to achieve, he did it until verse 8. So thank you everyone for helping me demonstrate what we my hand. And this brings us back to the question, so if Mark ends the gospel so abruptly and so confusing, why does he end it like that? Why not have a nice, neat uh, verse to, to end it or even just have an appearance of Jesus? Like, it's all about Jesus. Where is he during his time after he's risen from the dead? And I think Mark's trying to do something. If you read the whole gospel, the whole time he's trying to convince the re his readers, that Jesus is the Son of God. The very Son of God, the Messiah is coming to the world to save mankind. Save humanity. And at the end of the Gospel, we see uh, an empty tomb. And women confronted with, with that and wondering, what does this mean? And what are we going to do about that? I think what Mark is doing is he wants the readers to have that same reaction. We're confronted with an empty tomb. What does that mean? And what are we going to do about it? And really, the rest of the New Testament is, is, is all about that. Jesus is risen from the grave. What does that mean for us? And what are we going to do about it? And I just want to reflect on, on three, way, three ways, three things that it means for us, the resurrection. What does it mean for us um, in 2021, the 21st century? And for the world uh, that we're living in, uh, for, for a world that is crippled by loneliness, what does the resurrection mean? It means the reality of connection. This goes back to what Kyle uh, shared with us so helpfully earlier. Uh, the work that Jesus did on the cross wasn't just to pay for sin, but to make a way for us to be with God. 
And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it shows us that the sacrifice he made was sufficient. It was enough. Because he rose from the dead, he conquered death. He, it shows that Jesus took care of that which separates us from God. And the Apostle Paul says that those who believe in Jesus are raised with him into new life into a new life that is together with God, into a new life of, of adoption, into God's family. And it's not just a fresh start. It's not just new life as in you get another goal, a new life, uh, so you can get it right this time. But it's a whole new life. Jesus took on what separated us from God so that we can take on that which connects us to God. And this belonging, and this connection with God, this being part of God's family is not based on our merit. It's not based on our status or what family we were born in or what we do or don't do, what we say or don't say. It's not based on anything that we do. It's based on what Jesus did. Based on his work on the cross and his resurrection. What Jesus experiences, he offers to all who trust him. So who's going to help us through this time of loneliness? If, if we struggle with that, who is going to love us, be with us? Who can we belong to and find a home? Jesus. Jesus is that answer. Secondly, what does it mean for a world calling out for justice? What does it mean for a world calling out for justice? The resurrection means the hope of his return. Jesus' resurrection points us forward to when he will return and renew the whole world. In a sense, uh, the resurrection of the world. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, But Christ has indeed raised, been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So effectively what Paul's saying is that the, the curse of, of being subject to death and being completely separated from God, that is a curse that afflicts all people. But Jesus has come to reverse that curse. And Paul says, but in each, in turn, Christ, the first fruits, the first one to be raised from the dead, then when he comes, those who belong to him, that all people will be raised when Jesus returns. And it says this, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The end will come where Jesus will return to judge the world once and for all. Injustice will be made right. Sickness will be eradicated. Evil will be destroyed. And the, the world will be renewed. It's like the world will be resurrected. Jesus will come and he will judge the world. Those who reject him will be cut off from God. But those who love him, who trust in Jesus, will be restored, returned to him, and raised to, to, to be with him forever, to belong to God forever. And the world will be restored and renewed forever. And all that has been undone will be remade. And all the injustice in the world will be made right once and for all. 
Who will bring justice to the world? Jesus will. And finally, what does it mean for a world confronted by death? The promise of life. If you've ever had a close family member or a friend pass away, or we're even just seeing it on the news, you know that, that death is not the end we're meant to face. That this is not how it's meant to be. Deep in our souls, we know that we're, we're meant for something more than just to, to cease to exist. And the greatest enemy that, that humanity faced, death, being cut off forever, Jesus defeats. Jesus has victory over death. You know, how, how do we know Jesus won? Well, if, if we were to take a boxing match, how do you know who's won in a boxing match? It's whoever's left standing. Who was left standing in the battle between death and Jesus? Jesus rose from the dead and he stands tall. 1 Corinthians 15, again, Paul writes, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the Lord God. Praise be to the Lord. For uh, he gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll be raised uh, into eternal life. That which is perishable, which will decay, will die, will be raised imperishable, eternal. That which is mortal, subject to death, will be raised immortal. That will never be separated from God or never have to fear again. What Jesus experienced, raising from the dead, he offers to all who trust in him. Who will bring us victory over death? Jesus will. We think back to uh, Jess McClure and uh, her, her predicament in the well. How, how could she be saved? Did the rescuers come to the top of the well and, and just call out, you know, Jess, come, come out, sort yourself out. And when you're ready, come join us outside. No. It took someone going down into that well, into that darkness. And, and even, in fact, digging down deeper so they could take hold of her and carry her out of that well. And often we might think, you know, what is God doing with the world? With all this craziness that's happening throughout the world, is God not doing anything? And sometimes we might feel like God is just up there in heaven looking down and, and saying, come on guys, sort yourselves out. When you're ready, come join me up here. And other, you know, some other religions operate like that. But that's not Christianity. That's not Jesus Christ. God saw the predicament we were in. He was confronted by the darkness and brokenness that we, are, that we existed in this world. And God entered into the pit. He entered into the grave so that in our darkest moments, in the most uh, deepest state of despair, God could take hold of us and carry us out so that he extends his hand so that we could hold on to him and he would pull us out into the promised land, into the place where we belong to God forever. He meets us in the darkness grabs our hand and says, come with me. And so what are we going to do with that? As the women left the tomb afraid, 
not sure what was going on. They were confronted with, what are they going to do? We know from other stories that they did end up telling the other disciples. They did end up doing what the angel told them to do. But with us here, as we hear and reflect and, and, and see that Jesus has been risen from the grave, what are we going to do with that? Do we feel like the darkness of this world is too much for God to handle? Well, that's not true because Jesus entered into the pit and he came out of it. And he extends his hand. Do we, do we deny that, that we need to be saved at all? Do we just say, no, this darkness is all right, this brokenness, this, this world is, is, is fine how it is? But it's not. Are we content with the state of the world? Do we try to make our own way out? Or do we follow the narrative of the world and just seek our own needs and, and think, hey, I'll just I'll do whatever I need to do to make sure I get out okay. But in reality, we're just digging ourselves deeper. When we hear the news of the resurrection, we, we see God's hand extended to us in our deep, dark moments. Do we grab hold and follow him to eternity? One of my favorite uh, books, one of my favorite series is The Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure many uh, have read this before. If you haven't, you absolutely should. Uh, and one of my favorite books in it is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And one of the characters is Rigucci. is my favorite. Uh, he's a little mouse um, with a, an awesome attitude. And he's uh, joined the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Dawn Treader is the, book, the ship that they're on. And uh, that, that one's got its own mission. But Rigucci has a has a specific goal to reach Aslan's country. Aslan is like a god character, and Aslan's current country is like a, the promised land, the, the, the place for, for the people of Aslan. And it's off the edge of the world. And so the Dawn Trader has been uh, going along on this mission, and Rikuchi is just ready to go on further. And uh, he, he gets to a place where um, uh, he's on this island, like quite far on in their journey. He gets to this island where there's this massive feast and, and the, uh, the leader there says, hey, if you want to stay here, you can join in this feast and celebrate for the rest of time, and it'll be awesome. And effectively, he's offered all, that the, all the goodness that this world offers. But Rikuchi says this, no, why should your majesty expect it? My own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I will paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I will swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, even if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I will sink with my nose to the sunrise. Reaper Chief is intent of clinging to that hope that Aslan has given him and following Aslan to the promised land. As we're confronted with the darkness of the world, as we see the, the hope that Jesus offers, what are we going to do with it? Will we cling to the hope that Jesus offers and follow him into the promised kingdom? Will we, like um, Hebrews 12 says, uh, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
as we go through this world, as we uh, interact with our colleagues, our friends, our family, and as we think about uh, the resurrection this, this Easter, and not being distracted by chocolate and the Easter bunny, will we see what God has done for us? He's entered into the darkness of this world. He, he descended to the grave. And he rose from the dead. And he holds out his hand and says, Come, follow me. Will we take his hand and follow him? Who will give hope to the world? Jesus has. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you so much for Mark and all those who copied it so that we could have a copy today to read, to hear the good news that you have risen, that you're not in the tomb, that you're, you have victory over death. And God, we just pray that we would take hold of that hope. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our despair and darkness, but you entered into that so that you could take us out of it. And God, for those who, who don't trust in you or maybe just uh, are a little bit on that journey, we pray that this Easter we'll be able to reflect on uh, the resurrection. That, you, that what is seemingly impossible has happened. And we reflect, what does that mean for me? And what am I going to do about it? And God, we pray for all of us that we wouldn't be distracted by uh, chocolate or the Easter bunny or any of this, but actually... We would, we would take hold of the life that you have given us and so that we would live for you in this world and look forward to the place we have, the place you have in store for us, by your side, as your people, for eternity. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.